This is the John Oakley Show podcast. When we get around to uh, matters of the police and charges and things like that, boy, there's a story that's making the rounds here. And before we get to our topics worthy of discussion panel, which this will needless uh, to say also uh, fit the category, there's been a viral video. It's uh, a case of somebody who was taken into the back of a police car under investigation for DUI, stopped on Sunday night in the Esplanade area. Uh, southern part of central Toronto, downtown Toronto, rather. And then uh, the next thing you know, this guy is captured on video in the back. He's in handcuffs. He's reaching around, and he's sort of uh, trying to, I guess, access something in his pants. And he does. Happens to be a loaded handgun. And uh, this has now caused quite consternation. The police chief was apoplectic, saying uh, this is going to be either a matter uh, for... Uh, discipline or training. We don't know yet, but there is an investigation underway. There could actually be several investigations. But how is this allowed, or how did this happen, I guess, is uh, more to the point. So here to put some perspective onto uh, the matter at hand, Dave Perry, the CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc., and Global News Radio's Crime and Security Analyst. Dave, always a pleasure to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Dave, on this matter now, uh, with the officers taking this guy into custody, I, I guess you've seen the video, right? Uh, you know what? I haven't seen the video. I've just heard it described as you just did. Okay. Uh, what's your takeaway from the story so far? Well, it's not the first time, and unfortunately it won't be the last time that this happens in policing. Um, you know, that's the human element that you put into any organization, and from time to time you're going to have a mistake or an error where somebody is doing what they're supposed to do. They're taking uh, a person into lawful custody for impaired driving and other alcohol-related offenses, and they're being searched and they're being handcuffed or put in a car. Well, they missed it. And uh, clearly that's a, a real officer safety issue. The unfortunate side is is the officers could face a disciplinary action for neglect of duty for, for actually not finding a weapon that could have cost them their lives. But the the, the reality is this will become, uh, you know, probably a two-pronged uh, approach by the Toronto Police, which is uh, perhaps a disciplinary issue, but as you said, more importantly, a training issue. How did this happen? How did it get missed? And, you know, they're going to do the best they can to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But it will happen again. It's the human element. All right, and you uh, ascribe it to human error, but, you know, this is the frustrating thing. And by the way, uh, in some ways, it's a relief because it could have ended horribly, given what you see on the video. The guy finally extricates the gun, and he's sitting there with it in his lap, and uh, it was only when he opened his legs, uh, I guess he wanted to drop the thing, but it wasn't that quiet a drop that the police in the front of the car were alerted, stopped it, got out, checked, and found the loaded weapon. It was loaded. And uh, here's a guy who could have easily killed an officer or two, and uh, we'd be having a different discussion. But still, if it's human error, uh, you mentioned the pat-down. And earlier in the afternoon, I was talking to the head of the police association who says it's a level two pat-down. If it's a DUI, you're allowed that much. Is that adequate? Because he was intimating that, you know, because of the proliferation of handguns now and any officer arresting anybody for anything... uh, can't be too cautious they might want to escalate the level of permissible pat down does that make sense to you it makes total sense uh you know we are we are in a time as we all know where everybody's carrying guns these days and i don't mean everybody is in you and i but certainly the criminal element that's out there they're they're carrying guns and other weapons and you know it's it's part of our regular training annually we train as police officers and make sure that we stay 
as sharp as possible for these kinds of things. But it's not the first time. And, I, and you know, I, it, you wouldn't believe what uh, what gets found sometimes on a secondary search or after a room where a prisoner has been or a police vehicle that a prisoner has been when, when you and we're trained to do that. Before we put a prisoner in a car, we search the car to make sure there's nothing there that they could hurt the officers with. And when we take them out, we search the car again. You know, we're always searching the car to make sure that there aren't weapons available to people. And, uh, you know, this is a case where it's frightening to think about what could have happened. And the only person who can answer the question honestly would be the person that had the gun. Did he intend to drop it? I hope so. Or was he trying to get the gun to, uh, to use it against the officers? Uh, hopefully that it was the first and not the second. Yeah, well, his hands were handcuffed behind his back, uh, so any kind of use of the handgun uh, probably would have been limited. Uh, Fortunately, I guess, you know, that's one of the points of handcuffing somebody when they're in the back of the cruiser. But the other thing has to do with the officers in the preliminary search. Uh, Look, you say human error, but uh, could we not expect better that they would check, you know, and pat somebody? Wouldn't you catch that in a pat-down? Nine times out of ten, absolutely. Maybe a higher percentage of the time you would you would catch that. But what we don't know is where did he actually have the gun? I, I mean, typically, if it's if it's in the the crotch area, if it's tucked way down in those those regions where nobody really wants to be searching at all, sometimes that's a pat. And 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 at, at those kinds with those kinds of searches, that's when something like a handgun or a knife or a quantity of drugs or other contraband can can be missed. So they're going to have to have a real good look at this and figure out what, what if anything, the officers did that, that didn't either meet the standards of the training or that the training didn't cover, and therefore they missed. But, you know, we've been doing this for generations, for, for decades. We're, generally speaking, really good at searching people and really good at finding stuff. But we, as part of our training, sometimes we'll have, uh, you know, it's typically a plainclothes officer come in, and it's, it's shocking how many things we can pull out of their waistband and, and out of their ankles and other areas of their body where, you know, they could conceal, you know, a dozen weapons. And unless you're doing a full, very thorough search, you're, you're, you're going to miss some of these items. Well, that was a point raised by Mike McCormick, the head of the association, when he said you can't really conduct a full search on a DUI. You're only allowed the level two pat down. I was asking earlier if that's considered appropriate or inadequate. Uh, could you miss it with a level two, whereas a level one might get it? Like, I mean, what is allowed in a DUI situation? Uh, Somebody had cited that uh, a police officer called in from Innisville, and he said uh, there are certain protocols. You can't go a certain place because it's, you know, I don't know how he couched it, but uh, does that make sense to you? Well, it's certainly a a lot more difficult to do a full full and proper search on the street. That's always going to be a challenge for police officers. But are are those governed by rights and uh, certain laws? Yes, and and, uh, they have to follow their training, but I'm going to say this about that. It's been a while since I've reviewed the training on searching, but if I was a police officer today, nobody's getting in my police car unless they're fully searched. That's just straight out, I would refuse to do it any other way because it's your life and it's your partner's life that's at, at uh, jeopardy if you don't do a, a proper search when you're putting people in other cars. But, you know, we tend to, in policing, we become complacent because of the nature of the call. Sometimes we're complacent because of the behavior of the individual. You know, they appear to be cooperative and nonviolent and you don't feel any kind of a threat whatsoever. But sometimes, as we've learned in, in some very tragic circumstances, those are the people that you have to pay special attention to they're being too nice and they're being too cooperative and quite often there's a there's a hidden agenda if you will and and these are the 
the circumstances that can come out of something like that. So it's it's not a perfect science. It's, uh, you know, you train, you train, you train, and you do the best you can, but from time to time something like this will happen. All right, I got an email from Mark. He says, these cops don't need any discipline. The self-reflection on how close they came to being shot or killed will be enough. Big pucker factor. Been there before. It's used as a wake-up call to all officers on complacency for safety. Do you think that's the reason that this video got out, by the way, because the chief is uh, rather beside himself and he's uh, investigating because he thinks that was uh, one of the egregious aspects of this story? Yeah, it could well be. Um but but who knows? Listen, these officers, if they get disciplined, you don't need to do anything more than, you know, a written document and, and maybe a review of the training because <clears throat> the pucker factor, you can only imagine what they must be feeling today. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the days that followed that, you know, that life-threatening situation where somebody was allowed into a, a car, albeit handcuffed and searched, and to have this result where a loaded firearm is heard dropping on, on the ground, that's absolutely terrifying as a police officer. And uh, listen, we do these searches for all the right reasons. We we do it for exactly to prevent this kind of a situation. And uh, nobody's going to feel worse than those two officers. So, you know, discipline, you know, in a case like this is generally something like, uh, you know, something written in, in terms of just making sure that this doesn't happen again. They could escalate it if they want. What would the value of that be? Probably nothing. Uh, no officer ever wants to be in this position where, a weapon is found. No officer ever wants to be in the position where they turn over a prisoner. You know, once they get to the station, a weapon or contraband is found. That's, you know, it's it's just unacceptable in, in terms of our training and our practice, but it does happen. Let me ask you finally, uh, so if he's taken to the station and uh, he hadn't tried to extricate the weapon which fell to the floor and that alerted the police officers, if it's successfully hidden because they didn't catch it in the initial pat-down, he gets to the station. Is he patted down again or could he conceivably uh, be blowing into a breathalyzer down at the station house all the while while hiding the weapon in his drawers? No, he'd have to go through what we call the booking procedure. And part of the booking procedure is to have the prisoner search thoroughly one more time, Mm. Um, certainly before their handcuffs are ever taken off, before they're handed over to somebody who's going to administer any kind of a test, certainly before they're going to be interviewed. So it's an ongoing process. And if they're, let's give you another example, if they're staying in custody as a result of the arrest, and not being released that night, then then it's yet even another higher level of search. So they could be searched from time of arrest until until the end of the booking process two or three times. And that's a very healthy practice. That's what we train for to make sure that if something was missed because of the human element, that perhaps the second person that's going to conduct the search. And I used to run the booking hall as, as a sergeant and a, and a staff sergeant. And the first thing I would have uh, any officer do when they bring a prisoner in is have them search them again in front of me empty their pockets, take their layers of clothing off. Let's make sure that we're, we're not jeopardizing our own safety here by bringing somebody into our station, and it turns out they've got a weapon that they could harm, harm themselves or harm us with or, you know, ingest some kind of a, a drug in, in an effort to hide it, and then now you've got uh, some kind of other emergency. So it's, it's an ongoing process. Understood, which is maybe why the guy was so much in earnest in the back of the cruiser to get rid of that weapon. Uh, he knew what was about to happen maybe uh, having experienced uh, that before at the station house. Dave, it's a pleasure. I appreciate your uh, insights into all of these matters. Thanks so much for your time. Of course, anytime. You got it. Dave Perry, CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc., and Global News Radio's Crime and Security Analyst. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.